Update at noon, midday to 1 p.m. And uh, let's start with that Constitutional Court judgment, uh, the Constitutional Court declaring the Electoral Act unconstitutional, and uh, that now paves the way for independent candidates to contest uh, national and provincial elections without being part of a political party. And the case was brought by civil society organization, the New Nation Movement, and others. A parliament has 24 months to remedy the Electoral Act, and Judge Mwiseli Madlanga handed down the judgment earlier. The second judgment holds that Section 19.3 draws a distinction between citizens by conferring rights upon a specific class of citizens. The bearers of rights enshrined in this section are adult persons who are citizens. The second judgment reasons that to safeguard the free exercise of the right, the Constitution demands that the actual voting must be conducted in secret. This is a singular condition that Section 19.3 imposes for the exercise of the right to vote. The condition reveals the interrelatedness between the right to vote and the right to free, fair, and regular elections, which is guaranteed by Section 19.2. The second judgment holds that Section 19.3b must be construed in the same way that Section 193A is read and understood. It holds that it cannot be gainsaid that the right to vote, which is conferred in similar terms, is exercised by voters as individuals without the need to add words like as individuals. The second judgment holds that requiring citizens to exercise the right to contest elections and hold office only through political parties subverts Section 193B because the section confers the right on adult South Africans and not political parties. The second judgment concludes that the deficiency in the Electoral Act to the extent that it fails to enable adult South Africans to stand for public office as individuals is inconsistent with the Constitution. A dissenting judgment penned by Froneman J agrees that leave to appeal must be granted, but disagrees with the reasoning and outcome of the first and second judgments on the merits of the appeal. The third judgment disagrees with the interpretation of Section 193B in the first and second judgments for not having proper regard to the constitutionally required electoral framework within which the right to stand for and if elected to hold office must be exercised. According to the third judgment, it was not shown that the Constitution prescribes something other than political parties in its fundamental multi-party system of democratic government. The right under Section 193B does not have an uncontested pre-given meaning that can be determined without having regard to the constitutional context. It needs to be determined not according to the notional ability or preferences of individual adult citizens to stand for and hold political office in any general everyday sense, but according to the actual content of the right 
within the constitutional democracy envisaged in the Constitution. The third judgment also disagrees with the reasoning that because there may be no obstacle in the Constitution to independent candidates, we should therefore interpret Section 193B as securing such a right. This, according to the third judgment, would be an illogical leap that cannot be sustained because it conflates electoral preferences with constitutional rights. The entrenchment of proportional representation and its achievement through the vehicle of political parties flows from prioritizing equality in political voice. That is, every voice, vote, I'm sorry, counts equally over the accountability that might be better secured through a constituency-based system or a mixed system. In the result, the following order is made. One, leave to appeal is granted. Two, the appeal is upheld. Three, the order of the High Court of South Africa, Western Cape Division, Cape Town, is set aside. Four, it is declared that the Electoral Act 73 of 1998 is unconstitutional to the extent that it requires that adult citizens may be elected to the National Assembly and provincial legislatures only through their membership of political parties. Five, the declaration of unconstitutionality is prospective with effect from the date of this order, but its operation is suspended for 24 months to afford Parliament an opportunity to remedy the defect giving rise to the unconstitutionality. Six, the Minister of Home Affairs must pay the applicant's costs in the High Court and this court, such costs to include the costs of two counsel. I hand down the judgment. And that was Judge Mbuiseli Madlanga handing down the judgment. We're now joined on the line by Teresa Conradi, who is attorney for the New Nation Movement. Thanks for your time. Welcome to Update at Noon. Thank you for having me. Ms. Conradi, obviously a victory for your client. What is their reaction? Is this what they wanted? Well, they're overjoyed. Um, they believe their position has been vindicated. It's been a long struggle and a battle that even preceded the, um, the, the case in the Western Cape High Court. But essentially, they are so proud of this victory for our constitutional democracy. It's a victory for ordinary people. None of our clients are high profile. There wasn't um, any funding backing them up. So it just for them is a proof and a demonstration that ordinary people can uh, change the course of history in South Africa. Absolutely proud and, and very happy and grateful. Ms. Conradi, um, why is this judgment so important? Why was it important for your clients to move this particular matter? 
clients have really identified three categories, four categories of people who are not taking part in elections and um, that it's very possible that if independents uh, candidates could stand that they would feel free to vote for them the first the first category is really the youth um, we know that young people are most probably disillusioned with our political parties and um, there's a very good possibility that they sh would rather vote for independence. The other are the, are the faith communities, very often not able to associate themselves with the principle of political parties, and then women. So many, so many uh, women in South Africa are really still historically and and advantaged and um, so so then also nation groups like uh, the first nation uh, the who was one of the applicants their rights are just not um, not not ever properly protected so in essence um, do your clients believe that this judgment will be able to change uh, the cause and of course also uh, perhaps uh, give rise to a political new order there are, there are a few things that I think as South Africans we really need to appreciate about the judgment. The first one is that it has really confirmed um, the national or the dignity of, of individuals, the human dignity. The court said that the rights to human dignity must always be interpreted generously. So the right to vote and the right to stand for public office are such important um, building blocks of the dignity of, of the individual. Um, then the uh, other um, uh, issue that the court really made clear is the right of association. In other words, everyone has got the right to vote for a political party and associate themselves with the um, with a, uh, aims of a political party. But similarly, the court said that the individual should also have the right to choose to disassociate or not associate at all, and that the state can never ever compel the individual to associate. So, so it's um, the legislative process starts now and it's so terribly important that ordinary South Africans across the board have to be involved and have to be um, have make their contributions, participate in the public participation programs so that um, the, real, um, the real victory of this judgment can be established in the legislation. Well, thank you so much uh, for that reaction. Uh, Teresa Conradi, attorney for the New Nation Movement. Uh, we also joined on the line now by Saima Mabolo, who is the chief electoral officer at the Independent Electoral Commission. Thanks for your time, Mr. Mamabolo. Uh, good afternoon, Sakina. So firstly, we'd like to hear the IEC's reaction to the judgment. Well, the, the IEC's position is that... Um, the the judiciary has a a function to interpret um statutory acts and uh, this judgment is a sequel to such interpretation so it is part of a common um, reality within 
a democratic uh, country. Um, uh, and thus, we welcome that because it can only serve to enrich um, our democratic existence as, as a people and um, as a country. Our electoral democratic system is enriched by uh, uh, the action of the judiciary of interpreting the texts uh, that Parliament um, uh, uh, approves. Of course, it does have uh, significant implications for uh, for the Electoral Commission, as it does, I guess, for other political uh, players in society. Um, Parliament has been given uh, 20, uh, 24 months uh, to remedy the, uh, the statutory defect. And um, as an electoral commission, we, we really stand ready uh, to accompany Parliament in that journey. Uh, we'll offer technical advice to them, uh, should that be required, and any other support that the national legislature uh, may need as they navigate uh, the process of um, ameliorating the defects uh, identified by, by the Concord. And we also believe uh, that Parliament is uh, eminently qualified to deal with the matter because um, a legislature is a, a representative assembly of all peoples. And therefore, it is where the decision about the um, electoral system must be, uh, must be determined. Uh, and also, Parliament is a multi-party forum. Um, of different political persuasions, uh, different political ideologies, and so on. So all those must coalesce uh, in a dignified process to give us a, an electoral system that is compliant going forward. And that uh, takes care of what Parliament needs to do. But as the IEC, um, immediately, what sort of work would need to be done on your part uh, as a result of this judgment? In, in, in preparation for the, uh, uh, the debates uh, that would uh, certainly ensue within uh, the walls of, um, of Parliament, uh, we've got to look at what um, options uh, would be available to Parliament uh, from a technical point of view, um, and also look at what then those options would mean for our business uh, processes as well as our applications. Uh, because the current business IT uh, applications that we have um, have been predicated on a a, a proportional representation system. So whichever option that Parliament eventually um, uh, determines and adopts, uh, we have to align our internal business operations to that option. But it's going to need an extensive investment of resources because these are systems that have been built over the past 25 years, which now need to be uh, amended uh, and uh, enhanced to accord with uh, the new reality which Parliament will come up with. So there is really a lot of uh, budgeting, um, business process mapping, and related things that would have to go with the options that are tabled in Parliament. Well, Mr. Saima Mabolo, thanks for your time. Chief Electoral Officer at the Independent Electoral Commission uh, talking to us there, giving their reaction to the judgment handed down by the Constitutional Court. Uh, Let's get some analysis on this particular matter. And joining us now is political analyst Professor Sumantotafikeni. Thanks so much for your time and welcome, Prof.
Thank you, Sakina, and uh, greetings to your listeners. Prof, I want to pick up on Speak Easy's point, who says uh, this is essentially a hollow victory and uh, running uh, elections uh, will cost time and, uh, of course, money and other resources uh, for these individuals should they decide to enter the fray and uh, that decisions are essentially taken by majorities uh, and the parties who are incumbent at the moment would obviously have a head start. So how do you respond? to that. Do you think it is a hollow victory? I don't think it's a hollow victory, but on its own, if you isolate this particular judgment, it would have less impact. But what it is doing, it is forcing in the process of legislative review the country to begin to grapple with the general electoral uh, system review. So that's the first thing that people have been calling for. You had the Fanzales Labert, uh, you know, document proposing some reviews and several others, which said the proportional representative closed party list system has served us well for the transitional period. But beyond that, it is not working. So it may also trigger the revisit of the recently signed party funding, because once you do have preponderance of individuals, then you have to revisit that. I take it as a tipping point and as a catalyst, which should not be viewed in isolation. It may even go further. For some people may ask, is it still okay for DA to simply have federal council or some few members, or for ANC to have 4,000 delegates? plus electing leadership, or should members have a direct election of leaders? All those things, it's a tipping point that will be set rolling by this legislation, I mean, this judgment. Professor, there's been talk about electoral reform for quite some time. And as you say, that Van Sale-Slubbard report has been gathering dust for quite some time now. In terms of the reforms that one could envisage. How far does this judgment take us on the road to that? This judgment is simply forcing the nation to revisit our electoral system. And as such, it will be up to the framers of the new legislation as well as the public agency pushing the political parties in parliament to go beyond the imagination to be more creative in terms of what accountable system, what system doesn't give patronage powers to either party leaders or to funders and simply promotes democracy. So it is a limitless scope if taken beyond just this simple judgment. So, again, people may be thinking this means that we could see a whole new electoral process unfold. Would they be too optimistic in thinking that? Yes, they could be too optimistic, but such optimism should be escorted by agency and campaign to make sure that there is public discourse about what this opportunity represents And what should we be taking forward? And what lessons have we taken from our 26-year experience of the current system, including the close examination 
of local government elections where you do also have independent candidates because simply bringing individuals doesn't become a panacea for the problems that we have, but rather a mix between the political parties and individuals and a well-crafted accountability system which makes people and the voters more influential. Prof, you alluded to the framers of the uh, 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 legislation. And again, it raises the question of, um, you speak about the agency, but to what extent does that then take into account what individual South Africans actually want to see? Uh, Is it going to be a process like we saw uh, with uh, the land question and, you know, parliamentary processes unfolding, uh, to which end then people may still be unhappy in terms of the final outcome that uh, the framers of this legislation arrive? Certainly, not everybody will be happy, but at the same time, it may loosen the party leader's control over the membership and who is deployed and who is not deployed. It may also create a possibility where meritocracy over the issue of loyalty may actually be taken into account. So it's a number of permutations that we should be looking at in this legislation or in this particular judgment. It is not the judgment per se taken literally to say you'll have individuals now there. The 24 months says, be creative. Here is the space of how you improve your democracy against the backdrop of what you have experienced before. So, certain part of uh, the Electoral Act declared unconstitutional. Does this mean that this potentially opens the door for a complete overhaul of the system, Prof? Precisely because our democracy now is under trial in a sense of saying what has worked, what has not worked. But what was lacking was such a constitutional court judgment to give this process a momentum to review from party funding to accountability and the party power versus people power, the lobby groups and everything else. So to that extent, I do think that it creates an opportunity. Of course, the quality of outcome depends on the intentions and the role players involved. And of course, uh, it, it, it is almost a swear word to uh, talk about a referendum in South Africa. But does this present an opportunity for the public to actually come out and say, as you said, exercise the agency uh, that we have as a nation and say, this is what we want to see? Because a referendum is something that you must not always use for obvious reasons. Tomorrow you could have a referendum whether people should pay taxes or not. Rather, if you opt for a referendum, you would have to put in a number of things of socioeconomic nature which have not been attended to, as well as the issue of the electoral reform, so that you cluster a number of issues which have weight and meaning rather than isolate each one of those such that you may create an appetite for people to always come back for a referendum. And besides, it's a very delicate process. Majority and majoritarianism at times may not get the principle right. 
look at some of the issues such as, uh, you know, the same-sex marriages. Had you taken a referendum, they would not have seen the light of the day. And therefore, it's certain principles that should be compatible with the Constitution, but also a very intuitive way of going for a referendum. If you can avoid a referendum, you'd rather settle for a social compact where you have sufficient consensus having canvassed each other rather than have sometimes what could be a very polarizing exercise. If you look at the British referendum for exiting the EU, it was so close, but once it was taken, there was no turning back. And most of the younger people didn't want to leave the EU. The older people were more energized to come out and vote. And here it is, the youth of tomorrow will have to settle with the decision of the elders. But looking at social compacts that already exist between the citizens and uh, the government of the day, uh, would you say there's a good track record there the, where the citizens would trust the government? Well, to me, I doubt we've had a serious social contract in any form or shape, despite the subsector contracts. The one that I would say came almost close to that would have been the political negotiations of the early 90s. That was a major one. It focused on the political. But what we left out was the economic and the social. And that is where the crunch is right now, of course, with some refinements on our democratic institutions. And just finally, Prof, what does this judgment mean for political parties? It means they will now enter into a space which they have never been before, which may begin to challenge the order of things, the balance of forces, and how politics is conducted within. And that in itself, I do think that it's a good thing for democracy from time to time to shake up things and create a sense of uncertainty so that people can be more creative in carving a path forward and in rejuvenating a democracy that was beginning to experience fatigue and also politics of personality and politics of patronage. Well, Professor, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Professor Somatoto Fikeni is a political analyst uh, giving us uh, his analysis on this judgment. Let's-